The sermon lesson today is from the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. The path of life leads upward for the prudent, that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Watch over your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, your word says that if any of us lacks wisdom, we should ask you and you give generously. And so we ask that you would lead us in the way of your wisdom and your life this morning and that you would ultimately lead us to your son. And it's in his name that we pray. So during this season of Lent, we're going to be shifting gears a bit and looking at this book of Proverbs. And often when you think about the book of Proverbs, you might think about this random collection of wise sayings, but it's actually something much more personal. Over 25 times throughout this book, you'll hear this repeated phrase, my son, my son, listen to me, my son, Don't forget what I'm teaching you. My son, treasure up what I am saying. Proverbs is wisdom being passed along from a parent to a child. And ultimately from our good and gracious and loving father to us. It is God guiding us in the way that we are to live. Love takes many different forms. But the kind of love that Proverbs highlights is is God guiding us in the way of true flourishing, where we can thrive and be who he created us to be. And what we're going to see in this loving guidance throughout Proverbs is that it is incredibly practical and down to earth, and that it touches every area of life. As I think about my boys and the the kind of men that I hope they grow into, uh, there is a a kind of breadth to that that touches every aspect of of their lives and and the kind of men who they are called to be. In the same way, if, if God is to be truly loving towards us, He can't just focus on a narrow sliver of our lives, but He is speaking 
into every area because every aspect of our lives is meant to be lived under the gracious and good rule and guidance of God. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at different topics like our words, our work, our money, our friendship, our response to correction. But the first one we are starting with today, because it is connected to all the others, is this topic of self-control. Self-control is not the most popular of topics. When we think about self-control, we often think it's just about saying no. And if we're honest, we're people who like to say yes. And so saying no sounds much less exciting. But, but there's much more to this idea of self-control. And there is good reason why God repeatedly speaks into this area of our life, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, picturing a life of self-control as a way to true flourishing. And so if we're going to understand what self-control is all about, there's three questions that I want us to walk through this morning in the time that we have together. The first is, why is self-control so important? Why does God place such powerful stress on this idea? The second question is, why is self-control so difficult? If it's this important, why is it actually so hard in our everyday lives? And third and finally, how do we actually grow in self-control? So self-control, important, difficult, and growing. So first, why is self-control so important? I want to give three quick reasons for why self-control matters so much. The first is this. Everybody struggles with self-control all the time. So there are different words that are used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that are translated as self-control, but the most common is a combining of two words of, of self and, and rule and govern. And so to have self-control means that you are able to exercise a certain kind of rule and governance over what is going on inside of you that translates into what happens outside of you. So if there are competing desires within you, you are sitting in a place of authority in which you can successfully govern in the right direction to choose what is good. I think back to my days in competitive swimming, and like any sport, success is tied into being able to say yes to the right things and no to the right things. So yes to practice, no to skipping. Yes to eating, no to living off sweets. Yes to waking up early, no to sleeping in. Yes to finishing the workout, no to quitting early. But it's not just sports, it's, it's every area of life involves this strategic and healthy combination of saying yes and saying no. From your family, to your friendships, to your health, to your work, to your finances, and to your faith. Which means that self-control is something that we are trying to do all the time. In every conversation, in every thought we have, in every word we say, it's something that is always happening. We are 
always nonstop saying yes and saying no. The question that self-control asks is, are we saying yes to the things that bring life? And are we saying no to the things that bring death? And that brings us to to our second reason why it's so important. Uh, And this is related. Self-control is so important because everything important in life, everything important in life comes from knowing what to say yes to and knowing what to say no to. There's a a kind of a a joke text thread some friends and I were having about what's the right way to to put toilet paper on, on the little roll. Um, I think there's a right way, but apparently it's, it's debatable. But it was a funny little text thread, and we can all laugh because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, there are a lot of things in life that really, really matter. The things we listed above, our family, our relationships, our finances, our health, our work, our faith, what we do with our lives, and, and all are connected to this idea of self-control. Think about what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says, Watch over your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Or as another translation says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So think about it this way. Every act of love that you do flows out of you is the exercise of some form of self-control. You are choosing to be kind. You are choosing to forgive. You are choosing to share. You are choosing to encourage. You are choosing to serve. All of those come from a heart that is being governed for good. The opposite is true. Every sin flows out of a heart that is not being governed for good. Every choice to hurt others, to gossip, to lie, to give in to anger, addiction, apathy. Every sin is some kind of breakdown of self-control, a lack of governing our heart and our life for good. Everything that matters in life involves learning what to say yes and what to say no to. And third, self-control is so important because the stakes in life are incredibly high. In His time on earth, Jesus said so many things that were encouraging and comforting. But He also said many things that were, that were challenging and prodding and disrupting. And He did both of those out of great love. And one of the more challenging statements he said focuses on the kind of life that we choose and how, according to Jesus, the stakes could not be higher. In Matthew 7, he says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. According to Jesus' authoritative wisdom, we have two roads to choose on. One is wide, it's easy, and it's popular, and it leads to death. The other is narrow, hard, and often lonely, 
and it leads to life. And the question that Jesus pushes on His disciples, early followers, early seekers, and us is which path will you choose? You can even see that in in the selected Proverbs before us and the method behind some of the madness of these. There are repeated references to this life-death dynamic. You see the path of life, the path of righteousness, the highway of the upright, the upward path, the fountain of life, as well as ideas of guarding your way, turning away from evil, turning away from death, turning away from the snares or or the entrapments of death. Self-control is all about this question, which path will we choose? A way that leads to life or a way that leads away from it? Go all the way back to Deuteronomy where God says these words, I set before you today life and good and death and evil. Choose life. That is God's heart for us. Choose life. That is why he keeps coming back to this idea of self-control. Not because he's micromanaging and domineering, but he's saying this is the way of life and I want you to walk in it. Self-control is so important because the stakes are incredibly high. If self-control is so important, you might think that it's very easy. Uh, Quite the opposite is is true. Self-control is incredibly difficult. So that leads us to our second question. Why is it so hard? I think of Oscar Wilde's um, tongue-in-cheek quote where he said, uh, I can resist anything except temptation. (laughs) Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Comparison here is to a warrior that is coming in and using strategy and using force to take over an existing city and exercise rule and dominion. If you're going to do that, it takes power. It takes resources. It takes a lot of different things. But the author of these Proverbs says, as difficult as that is, it's actually more difficult to rule over your own spirit and what happens on the inside. Taking over a city, that's easy. Uh, Governing this city, protecting these walls is something very different. And there's many reasons for this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus just on one. Uh, self-control is so difficult because our hearts are constantly being pulled in different directions. Uh, Augustine of Hippo in the 5th in the century, he wrote the famous book Confessions, a prominent figure in just Christian church history. Uh, it took a journey of him coming to faith, a season of, of wandering and seeking that took time. And in one of the ways he describes this coming to faith, um, he talks about this wrestling internally of what he had to leave behind and what he had to, to move towards. And his, his prayer is very insightful at one point in his journey. He said, this was the state of my heart. Lord, give me purity, but not yet. He knew what he needed to do, but he didn't want to do it. And so much that describes this tension that rages in in all of our hearts. As Emily Dickinson famously said, the heart wants, 
what the heart wants. Um, we live in a culture, and we are a part of that, who like to say yes and don't like to say no. And one of our, our core values is personal freedom, that, that life is found in being able to say yes in whatever we want to. We would also say that that's truly an authentic life. An authentic life is this matching of this is what I want and I'm saying yes to it. In reality, the picture is much more complicated. Um, That kind of freedom, even common sense tells us that just simply doing everything we want all the time, whenever we want, however we want, does not lead to our own flourishing. There was a study done in the Atlantic years ago on this correlation between self-control and happiness. And their results were really surprising because they looked at a lot of different factors that led into people whose lives were more happy, uh, more content. And they were surprised to see that at at the top of the list there was self-control. Of people who knew what to say yes to and knew what to say no to. Proverbs 4.12, there is a way that seems right, but its end leads only to death. Uh, Paul in some of his letters describes this tension as as a war that rages inside of us. The human heart is not a place of peace and calm and tranquility. At least that's not what it looks like for a believer. The normal Christian life is one of struggle. It's one of tension. He says like this, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. And these two are opposed to one another. He even gets more personal. He doesn't just say, oh, this is a you problem. He says, I don't understand my own actions sometimes. I I do not do what I want, but I do the thing that I hate. Self-control is so hard because it's pulling us in such different directions. And the question it puts before us is which path will we choose? And here's where I want to focus mostly on our final question. How do we grow in our self-control? If this is so important, if this is the way of life, if this is God as a Father guiding us out of great love, how do we grow in it? How do we listen to His voice? I want to close with, with four final thoughts that I I hope are are practical street level because uh, Proverbs is pushing us to that level of this is what it looks like, faith when it hits the streets. Four thoughts. First, know your struggle. We are very good and gifted and experts at knowing what other people's struggles with self-control are. And they tend to be very different than ours. And our approach is, if they would just do this differently or be a little bit more disciplined in this area, then they would not have this problem. On the other hand, we are very weak um, and and not as gifted in in our ability to see it in in ourselves. And so as we think about growing in self-control and saying yes and no, one of the first things that we need to do is know where the battle lines are for us. Not where it is for your spouse, for your kids, for your friends, for your coworkers, but you. And because we tend to be blind to our own weaknesses, this will involve other people. 
Proverbs says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Sharpening is not a pleasant experience. It involves difficulty and challenge and friction. Um, One of the starting points to growing in self-control is looking at someone you trust and say, uh, where do you see self-control absent in my life? Where do you see the walls of self-control being broken down and, and my life out of control? Where is it not governed for good? That's the first practical step is to know your struggle. Pray Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Second, watch what goes in. If, if the heart is so important that we're told that everything flows out of it and we're to guard it and watch it with all uh, vigilance, it means that we need to pay close attention to what we are paying attention to. Uh, when you're learning to drive, uh, whether it's a car, a bike, or a motorcycle, Uh, One of the most basic lessons is keep your eyes on the road. Or you need to keep your eyes on where you want to go because what inevitably happens is where your eyes turn, everything else begins to drift in that direction. So as you were thinking about paths that lead to life and paths that lead away from life, it matters a great deal where our attention lies. Proverbs 4.25 in our selection, let your eyes look directly forward and let your gaze be straight before you. Think about our New Testament lesson and where we're told to keep our eyes, give our attention to. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What is the everyday diet of your heart? What is flooding in? What are you feeding on? And how might you need to to change that diet? Because what goes in is going to highly affect what comes out and your ability and what you say yes and no to and what you want to say yes and no to. Know your struggle. Watch what goes in. Third, take small steps. We love when we think about change, we love to think about big steps where we're going to take, we're all drawn to silver bullets. There's this one thing that I can do for one time in my life that's going to change me forever and everything's going to be done. Uh, The wisdom of Proverbs and of Scripture says it's small steps, one at a time. Listen to how C.S. Lewis talks about it. He uses imagery from the battles that were raging in World War II. He says, Good and evil both increase at compound interest. They, They both build off each other quickly. That's why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or railway line or bridgehead from which the enemy may launch 
an attack otherwise impossible. He's saying that our everyday small decisions build on each other and open up opportunities for more life or more death. Going back to the war in Ukraine, it's like the choice to build a bridge or the choice to burn it down. One simple choice can lead to an an arsenal of troops and tanks to go across to create more opportunity for victory. Whereas the opposite is true. The burning of this bridge is the loss of opportunity for all of these resources to go forward. Don't underestimate the small, trivial decisions we make when we're saying yes or saying no. They all matter and they all build. Fourth and finally, and most important, ground yourself in everything you do in His grace. Titus 2 from our assurance of grace. The grace of God has appeared, offering salvation to all people, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Don't miss the goal there. It talks about the goal being people who are eager to do what is good. It's their joy. It's your delight. Who love what is best. Who choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it does not happen just by willpower. It happens by what you can call Grace power. Another translation of that word teaches us to say no is it it trains us. It's like going into a gymnasium where your trainer is grace. It's not law that says this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do. It is grace empowered of a Jesus who says this is what I have done for you and this is the way of life and I'm going to give you strength and I'm going to give you all that you need to follow me in what is good. I want you to think about the self-control of Jesus. And Randy mentioned this earlier about all the different ways that Jesus Himself resisted temptation. But as I was thinking about this, I was struck in thinking about the cross in a new way. And the kind of self-control that Jesus had to exercise in able to make our redemption happen. What I mean by that is the the choice made by the Son of God to willingly go to the cross where He is going to bear physical and spiritual pain that we can scarcely grasp is Jesus ruling over Himself to say, I am going to give everything that I have for this people that I love. It is the greatest act of self-control of self-governance, of self-rule that the world has ever known in order to give us life. And it's only when when our stories soak in that kind of self-control that we are trained and say, I will trust Him. I will follow Him. I want to say yes to whatever He's about and I want to say no 
to whatever he's not about because he's worthy. I want to close with this just one story from long ago. Polycarp was born in the year 69. That was a long time ago. He actually knew the disciple John, Jesus's, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He was an early leader in the Christian church. And because of his leadership role, he faced persecution, was arrested, and was facing martyrdom or death. And at this point, in order to squelch this Christian movement, one of the great strategies is to uh, approach these leaders and say, um, we want you to reject your faith completely. And if you do that, we'll let you live. Uh, but if not, we're going to kill you. Those are your choices before you. Yes and no. Simple choice. Uh, Polycarp was given this choice. If you reject Jesus, we'll let you go. You can go on with your life and live however you want. But if, if you continue to cling to Jesus, you're going to die. And it's not going to be pleasant. His response is, is recorded in one of his letters. And it was simple. He said, 86 years I've served Him. And He's done me no wrong. How could I ever blaspheme my King and my Savior? When it comes to saying yes and no, I don't know if there's a bigger decision to make. Now, what helped him to say yes to good and yes to life and yes to Jesus was him being able to look at Jesus and say, he's never done me any wrong. How could I ever reject him? How could I ever say no? I'll... Where he is going is where I'm going. His way is my way. As you think about your own life, self-control is not something uh, to push away, to be negative about, but it's a gift that God gives by His grace. Something we are called, invited to pursue together because it is the way of life. Let's pray. Our Father, You know where the battle rages inside of us. Uh, you know the, the ways in which we get our yeses and our noes uh, confused and mixed up. Uh, you know the ways in which we're just confused or the ways in which we're being hard-hearted and resistant. And I pray that you would untangle those, that you would bring clarity for those of us who feel like we're in a fog. Uh, would you bring a certain clearness where the, the, the battleground uh, lies more in our view? For those of us who are uh, resisting and, and unwilling to let go, would, would your grace train and help us to loosen our hands and help us to say wholehearted yeses to you because you are not only the way of life, you are life itself. And we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.